coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at My Bookie. The season is less than two weeks away, guys, so don't wait any longer. Jump on it right now while you still can. The good people at My Bookie are hooking you guys up with our exclusive promo deal, a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit for all new users by simply using the promo code UGA when you sign up for that new account. You've got a couple more weeks to make those win total bets, and then college football will be here this weekend. Georgia, two weeks, but we got some college football this weekend, so make sure get that account open today, promo code UGA at mybookie.ag. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and with Curtis in the throes of death right now, Charlie is being the ultimate team player today as she was willing to jump on and help me out on very short notes today. So, Charlie, I got to give you credit. I got to give credit where credit's due. You told me to just let you know. Last week, you were on here telling me, just let me know when, when you need me. And I need you today. So, you were true to your word. You were here at a moment's notice. So, I guess this is where I have to take back all the junk I gave you last week for disappearing for, what, like four months? So, tip of the cap, Charlie. I'm glad I could save the day. You did, Charlie. Actually, you saved the day because I was, I mean, I guess I could have done this show alone, but Curtis and I had it set up to where we're going to do a two-man show, and I just honestly didn't have the brain wit to go back and and adjust it and make it a one-man show. I could have done it, but it was far easier to have you on here. So again, thank you very much for being here. But Charlie, we got to talk about Curtis real quick. We'll get to the show, guys. I promise. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about today, but we got to talk about Curtis for a second here. Now, I am usually loathe to kick a man while he is down. But after telling all of you last week that he was going to be on today's show, I feel like we owe you an explanation of, of sorts. And honestly, it's just uh, kind of a, I find it to be a very funny story. Although I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry that he doesn't feel great right now, Charlie. And apparently like he is dying. Like that is the word I'm most recently. He, I was texting with him like an hour ago, just because we were trying to push it back as far as we possibly could to see maybe he could get to the point where he felt like he could talk and last more than like five minutes without having to throw up or go to the bathroom or whatever, but apparently he is not there right now. But Charlie, this is where I need your wisdom. I always felt, maybe this is just me, I've always felt like it was kind of just common knowledge that you don't drink the water in most Latin American, Central American, Caribbean countries. Am am I crazy here? No, that's a pretty good idea to stay away from those however i will say maybe he was having a little too much fun and was drinking drinks with lots of ice and that may have caught up with him that's what i wanted to believe too charlie i really wanted to believe that and i asked him i'll give courage credit he was straight up and honest with me he's just like no i drink the water and i was like oh um okay well see i feel like didn't we both just like in in passing like in a joking manner at the wedding say like hey man like maybe don't drink the water hey just like as a joke um yeah i mean i feel like that's common knowledge yeah i feel like we said that so here's what happened guys basically he drank the water um i think they were in punta cana for their honeymoon uh coming back from their honeymoon was not on on the flight back was not great for him let's just say that and uh, it has not been any better over the past week or so so uh, i feel really bad for the guy i really do but i just i don't know i thought it was just common knowledge that you don't drink the water there but 
I guess maybe not everyone knows that. He won't do it again. No, I mean, hey, look, we all we all make mistakes, and that's how that's how I've basically learned everything that I know. I would say like ninety eight percent of what I know in life is learned from just making ridiculous dumb mistakes. And and Curtis, I'm sure, is going to learn from this as well. But I feel really bad for the guy. He is apparently like in bad shape. And on top of that, oh, is this a HIPAA violation, Charlie? I don't. Can we throw that out there? This the next thing. Well, I mean, the both, other news. I think both of them are probably. Are they, oh, yeah, so I guess we've already we've already dipped the toe in the water. So you also, on, on top of all that, he and his new bride have both tested positive for COVID. So um, yeah, coming back from the honeymoon, apparently they had a great time until the very end, but now um, they're paying the price for that. So that that sucks. And I, I'm I'm certainly sending positive vibes his way. I'm sure he could use your positive vibes, guys. So that's where Curtis is right now. I'm making light of this right now, but really, like, he is not feeling well, and I I hate it for the guy. It's one of those things that's in reality not funny at all, but it has these like funny elements to it. So in some way you can't help but kind of laugh at it, but then you think about like the kind of pain that he's in. You're like, oh my God, I feel like such an awful human being. But I am checking up on him daily and I will keep you guys updated, at least the, the general contours of what's going on. But I am hopeful that maybe possibly we can get him back on later this week if he starts to feel better. He's got some tests coming in, so I don't I don't know. Um, hopefully, I don't want to say he's going to be here on Thursday and him not show up. It's like he just doesn't feel great right now. So we'll just play that by ear, and hopefully next week we'll try to at least get him on as we, uh, man, that'll be game week. We first, our first game week, we got to have him on for our first game week. So hopefully he'll, uh, he'll be back in, in full speed by then. But all right, Charlie, we've got some Georgia football to talk about. Obviously, we have we just wrapped up week two of fall camp, and fall camp technically is now officially over with school starting back. Now we're just basically practicing now. So fall camp's done. We had a full week two, uh, wrapped it up with our second scrimmage of the fall on Saturday. But this is where I turn the reins of the show over to you, Charlie. You save the day, so I'm going to let you uh, guide the ship here. All right, let's get started. Well, obvious place to start is with quarterback because we have a starting quarterback that we do charlie I, were you kind of surprised by this um not really but it is surprising because kirby smart announced right off the bat in his press conference following the team's second fall scrimmage that carson beck is indeed going to open the season as georgia's starting quarterback because i feel like he didn't announce it well stetson was kind of just known well but that was last year I, yeah. the previous years he did announce jt in 2021 but that was like the first time ever i really remember him saying all right jt is going to be our starter to open the season yeah i guess i guess that's, i mean let's see i mean grayson lambert maybe right before that first game against north carolina back in 2016 but outside of that i don't remember him saying this dude is going to be our starting quarterback like when there was an actual battle the years just start to play. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, yeah, so there's a couple of angles to this. But first, I know you weren't surprised that Beck ended up winning the job because you've been saying that since January. But how surprised were you that Kirby openly announced the starter two weeks before kickoff? I guess mildly surprised would be the way to put it. I will say this. I wasn't expecting him to come out at his press conference following Saturday's scrimmage and just say, oh yeah, by the way, Carson Beck's our starting quarterback. I thought that might be something he might do maybe the week of our first game, but I didn't expect it like immediately following the second scrimmage of the fall. But as to Carson ultimately being the guy who emerges victorious from this battle, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, you're right, Charlie. We've been pretty consistent saying since essentially January that Carson was going to win this job, that Brock Vandegrift might have a shot, but Carson, unless he just completely wet the bed, was going to be the quarterback, and Carson clearly did not wet the bed, so he is our quarterback. I am very glad that Kirby went ahead and made this announcement and made the decision. He didn't really have to make the announcement. As long as the decision was made behind closed doors, that's really all that I cared about because for me, it's about 
preparing one guy to be the starting quarterback. You can't go four straight weeks in fall camp up until like game week and have three quarterbacks splitting reps. You can't have Carson and Brock Vinegar splitting reps with the ones for three, four weeks leading up to the first week's game. And I know it's UT Martin week one. I know that we're going to win that game no matter what. But that's not what I'm talking about, guys. I'm talking about taking the time in the preseason to build that continuity and that cohesiveness with the new pieces that we have on offense. I know we have a lot of returning players, especially on the offensive line. We have some guys coming back at running back. We have, obviously, Brock Bowers. You've got Lab McConkie, Marcus Jones, me, Jack Saint coming back. But there are some very important new pieces. Don McLovin probably or at the very least has a strong chance to be our leading wide receiver this year in terms of, of catches and yards. I mean, Lad will have something to say about that, of course, but Lovett's going to be in that conversation. Oscar Dupp's taking on a, a more enhanced role in our offense this year. And Carson Beck, or whoever the quarterback was going to be, and we know it's Carson, was going to be new themselves. So you just wanted to have as much time for whoever that quarterback was going to be to rep with the number one offense and build that continuity, build that cohesiveness, just get things rolling with that offense heading into week one. Again, not so much to beat UT Martin, who's going to beat them no matter what, but we have South Carolina in week three. And the more time this offense has together leading into that game, the better off we're going to be once we hit the meat of our schedule, once we get into SEC play. So I'm very glad the decision was made. I am mildly surprised that he just went ahead and made the announcement here two weeks before the first game. I think a big part of that has to do with our opponent in week one. If this was 2021 and we're playing Oregon week one, I honestly do not think Kirby would have made this announcement. I don't think he would have made an announcement, period. I think we would have gone out there the Saturday of the first game against Oregon, if it was last year, and we would have found out then. Now, we probably would have had some word leaking out because eventually, again, somebody's going to be taking the majority of the reps of the ones, and usually that word leaks out, but I don't think Kirby would have made the announcement because it's gamesmanship, right? Like When you're playing a, a quality opponent like that, another Power 5 opponent that has a chance, a legitimate chance to beat you, you don't want to give them any edge whatsoever. So if they know it's Carson Beck, even though Carson hasn't played a ton— you can still somewhat game plan for that guy as opposed to it being maybe Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandegrift, who other teams might view as being more of dual threat guys. So you want to have that mystery there going into week one. But when you're playing UT Martin and then Ball State in week two, there's really no need to keep it a secret because those teams are not going to beat you. Go ahead, make the announcement, say that Carson's the guy, allow the team to kind of build around him, coalesce around him, rally around him, and then you head in the season guns blazing. Okay, I know you've expected Beck to be the guy all along, but what I want to know is what are your actual expectations for him this season? I mean, last year we had Stetson Bennett. He improved his game tremendously. Heisman Trophy finalist Stetson Bennett, year Charlie. To year. So is he going to be closer to the 2022 Stetson, the 2021 Stetson, or the 2020 Stetson? Huh, that's an interesting question, Charlie. I like it. I think the safe answer is to say closest to the 2021 Stetson, although I think he'll, there's a chance he'll be better than that. I would say somewhere between 2022 and 2021 Stetson Bennett. I think it's a little bit of a reach to just expect him to be as good as Stetson Bennett was for us last year. And I said it on Friday's episode. Stetson was so good for us last year. I mean, this was not a charity case that he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He was that guy. And I would love it if Carson was ready to be that dude in his first year as a starter. And if he is, like, just go ahead and say it now. Like, we're going to win the national championship. Like, that's going to happen if he is as good as Stetson was last year. 
but I'm not going to put those expectations on him because, again, without having seen this guy play in meaningful situations, it's it's tough to say that, like to go that far. But I do think, as I said on Friday, his floor is very, very high because he's been around for a long time. He knows his offense inside and out. Kirby was very open saying like his experience in the system, his knowledge of knowing what defenses are doing and having answers to what defenses are doing to him. That is ultimately what gave him the edge in this competition. So I have a lot of confidence in Carson Beck to at least be a good, solid quarterback force. His ceiling is the remaining question. I, I have high hopes that he has a, a very high ceiling and can be close to what Stetson gave us last year. But again, I'm just I'm not going into the season with that expectations. I don't want to be let down. But I do expect him to be a very good quarterback with a with the potential to be an extremely good borderline elite quarterback in his first year as a starter. He has that potential. I just don't know if he can sit here right now and say, yes, that's what I expect going into this season. I do think the first two games give him an opportunity to kind of get into that rhythm against UT Martin, Ball State, those, again, those games that we absolutely should win. And that should give him an opportunity to, to build some confidence, build a rhythm with his teammates, and get this offense humming on full cylinders before we head into SEC play, which is really where it matters. Even if he makes a few mistakes week one and week two, we're going to be able to recover from those mistakes. But you want him to get those out of the way, learn from them, and be ready to hit the ground running week three when we play South Carolina. So I, I do expect Carson to be a good quarterback for us, and I don't think it's out of the question that he can be an elite quarterback for us in his first year as a starter. All right, one more question about the quarterbacks. What does this decision to name Beck the starter mean for the futures for Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton at Georgia? Yeah, I know that's a popular question right now. I've already seen some speculation that Stockton and Vandegrift are going to transfer or one of the other is going to transfer. That speculation has been pretty rampant within the past day or so since the announcement was made. A lot of that coming from outside the fan base, but I have seen some coming from within the fan base as well. But here's what you have to understand, guys. They cannot enter the transfer portal right now. Like They are going to be on this team all season long unless they just decide to lead the team and not join anyone else. Like that's, that's something that could happen. I do not anticipate that happening whatsoever. But the reason they cannot transfer right now is because the transfer portal window is not open again until after the season. So once the season ends, yeah, sure, they can, they can enter the portal. They can go somewhere else. That's certainly a possibility, but it's not going to happen right now. It's not going to happen in the middle of the season. It's not going to happen late in the season. It might happen after the season, but it's not going to happen right now. So at least for the time being, we can put that question to bed. Now, as for their long-term future, are they going to be with Georgia next year? I think a lot of that hinges primarily on whether or not Carson Beck comes back next year. If Carson does end up being like 2022 Stetson Bennett and he is an elite quarterback for us, he's going to go pro, guys. I mean, this is his fourth year in college. I mean, he's not going to stick around if he has a really good year and his draft stock is high. He's not sticking around just because he loves Georgia for one more year. He's going pro. If that happens, then why on earth would you transfer if you're either Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton? Because then you have two true freshmen that you're battling with who are going to be early enrollees, but one of those two veterans is going to be the odds-on favorite to win the job. If you're Brock Vandegrift, I know that you have a year on Gunnar Stockton, so you're like, man, my time's ticking a little bit faster here. I might need to go somewhere else. But again, if Carson Beck goes pro after this year, why in the world would you leave? You would be the guy if you end up be being the number two quarterback this year. Kirby said that's still an ongoing battle. We'll see. I expect it to be Vandegrift, but I'm not going to completely write Stockton off. He's had a good fall camp and he's made a lot of strides himself, but I do expect it to be, to be Brock. And if it is Vandegrift, why would you leave? If you were the guy, you're the number two quarterback, the number one quarterback leaves going into a new season, that would seem to mean that you would be the favorite to be the quarterback in this next year. So why would you leave? Why would you leave and go into a different situation with a totally different offense, totally different teammates, different coaching staff, different campus, different friend group? Why would you do that? Why would you leave then? 
stick around at least through spring practice and kind of see where you are after the spring. And if you don't like where you are, if the coaches are telling you, hey, you know what? Right now, we think this guy is a little bit further ahead of you because our coaches are going to be honest with you. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why Bear Alexander left. He was essentially told going into G-Day that he's not going to be a starter right now. They began working himself into that. He's going to be a contributor. He's going to play, but he's not going to be a starter. And so he packed his bags and he left. Some coaches might hold you hostage. Some staffs might do that. Our staff does not do that. They are very open with their communication. So why not at least stick it out through spring practice? If you don't like where you are after spring, then you enter the portal when it opens again following spring practice. So it just, to me, again, it comes down to Carson Beck. What does he do? If Carson Beck comes back next year, let's say he has a good solid year for us, but he's not like elite in his draft stocks, maybe like got him in the second, third, fourth round. He thinks he can take another step forward next year. So he comes back. Well, then, yeah, I think Brock Manor is probably going to transfer at that point. Gunnar Stockton, there's certainly a chance that he could, but I mean, he has another year of class separation there. So he might stick around. And because, you know, Carson Beck would be gone the following year. So you could go in, that would be his redshirt junior year, which is the exact same situation that Carson Beck is in right now. So yeah, I just don't know if there's any way to truly know right now until we see what Carson Beck is on the field this year. Once we find that out, then we'll maybe have a little bit of a better picture of what's going to happen with Stockton and Vandengriff moving into next year. But all right, Charlie, I know you said that was the last quarterback question, so I'm going to take the opportunity right here real quick to remind everyone out there about our friends at MyBookie. Guys, football is back. Like, this is week zero. It's not week one, week zero, but we have college football back this week. So that means winning season is also back at my bookie. College football is back. NFL is very close. Major League Baseball is still going hard right now. And my bookie has a brand new cash out system that's giving you options to bet and win all season long with whatever sport you're looking to make some cash on. If you're like me and you like to throw out those parlays every week, you hit your first two or three legs of the parlay, but you're kind of sweating out that last one late at night, no worries. Use the cash out early system, get that money, put in another bet, or let it ride, man. You can always let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday. So use that tool to stay in control of the action at MyBookie. It really could not be easier to get started, guys. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, do that right now, register for that free account, and when you are ready to make your first deposit, use our exclusive promo code UGA to grab a 50% welcome bonus completely, 100% on the house. Again, that's promo code UGA to claim that 50% deposit bonus for all new users and for a limit. At the time, don't forget, you also get a free chip to use in the My Bookie Casino. So do it now, bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with My Bookie. Okay, moving on from the quarterbacks, you've made it very clear over the offseason, even as recently as Friday's episode, that you think pass rush is an area that the dogs need to improve in. Now we have reports coming out of practice this week and the scrimmage yesterday indicating that Chaz Chambliss is still getting a lot of work at the number one defense. You were critical of him last season, so how do you feel about Chaz Chambliss taking reps with the ones? You are right, Charlie. I was critical of Chaz for large portions of last season once he came in and kind of had to replace Nolan Smith when he went down with the injury against Florida. But I I was also pretty open in saying I felt like Chaz improved as the season went on. I, I still have questions about his ceiling as a pass rusher. But don't get me wrong when I say that, guys. Like, Chaz is a valuable piece to this team. First off, he's a really good leader behind the scenes. He is just one of those dudes who just works his tail off. He grinds. He hustles. He does all the little things. He does everything the coaches want him to do the way they want him to do it. Now, does he have the athletic ceiling of a guy like Marvin Jones Jr. or the, or any of the, the three freshmen with Gabe Harris and Samuel Pimba and Damon Wilson? No, he doesn't have an athletic ceiling like those guys 
But this dude is valuable because he will put his body on the line to stop the run. Like my big issue with him last year, really more than anything, was just a general lack of awareness. And a lot of that can just be traced back to the reality that that was his first extensive playing time. He never really gotten that many snaps in big time moments like that. So, I mean, he, I don't, he wasn't a true freshman. He's gotten reps in practice, but when you're out there in the game and the bullets are flying, it's a little bit of a different story. So I, I understand why he didn't have the level of awareness that I think he needed to have last season, but I will still maintain that was an issue for him. I mean, he did a really good job of blowing blocks up, of of doing what we call closing on those pulling guards, pulling tackles. But a lot of times he would do that, and there were plays to be made there where the running back runs right past him, and he's just like twisting around, doing I don't know what he was doing, and just didn't see it happen. And the running back maybe not got a huge gain, but certainly got more yards than he could have, and Chaz could have had to play in the backfield for, for a TFL. So those are things that I want to see him improve on, and I, I think it's certainly possible that he can. I'm actually somewhat expecting that to happen now that he's got that experience under his belt. Now he's got a full offseason of really being the only returning veteran we have at that position. So I think Chaz is going to play a significant role for us at the Jack linebacker on first and second downs on those standard down situations. I don't think he's going to see a ton of playing time on third downs. Like once we get into those obvious passing situations, I don't think that's going to be his role. I think that's more like a Marvin Jones Jr. or Damon Wilson, Samuel Mpimba, Gabe Harris, maybe even a Darius Smith type situation. Those kind of guys, that's where they are going to excel. Because what they can do, like their skill is rushing the passer. They have that athleticism. They right now are not as equipped to play the run as well as Chaz Chambliss is. So I think Chaz, again, like he can do something that the other guys that position just don't they simply don't do as well so I think he's going to play and he's going to play a valuable role for us I just still have questions about what is his long-term ceiling as a pass rusher I'm not saying the guy cannot rush the passer but I just don't think he has the level of, of athleticism that some of the other guys do now you can overcome that there have been plenty of really successful college pass rushers who haven't been that overly athletic but with improved technique and you add to your pass rush repertoire and just understanding how to use leverage against offensive linemen how to use your hands better all those things like Chaz can improve in those areas and that can help him become a better pass rusher but he's not really going to be able to improve his athleticism I mean you can do that to very small degrees but he kind of is who he is as an athlete but I'll close with this on Chaz Chambliss I know I was critical of him at times last year, guys. I, I I own that. I absolutely was. And I will stand by that. But let's also not get this confused. I am 1,000% rooting for this guy. Like, he is the kind of guy that I have a soft spot for. Those guys that are not as physically gifted as other guys, but they still find a way to make themselves valuable by just sheer hard work, effort, determination, and willpower. I, I, am, one of the, I am one of those guys that's a soft spot for, I know some people want to call them the tryhards. I was that growing up, and I have a, so I have a soft spot for that. So when I'm criticizing him, that's just me trying to be objective and tell you guys what I see. That's not me trying to go out of my way to rip a kid and, and bash on the guy. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to give you guys what I'm seeing. That's why you come to this podcast to get those takes. I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. But again, don't get this confused. I am rooting hard for this guy, and I really, really hope he has a big season for us this year. Not just for him, for him obviously, but for the team as well. If he if he plays well, that's incredible for him, and that I'll be happy for for the kid, but also be happy for our team. That means we're gonna have another really, really good year. All right, sticking with the defense, the battle to replace Keely Ringo at cornerback might be the most important position battle of the preseason. Would you say? I mean, yes, outside of quarterback, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm talking about defense here. All right, and reports coming out of Saturday's scrimmage indicated that Julio Humphrey, not Dalen Everett, was seeing the majority of the work with the number one defense. So are we seeing the writing on the wall here? And if so, what's your take on Humphrey over Everett? 
because at this position you predicted that Everett would win this position and it doesn't look like that's happening, right? So this is what I got wrong. Is that what you're trying to say, Charlie? That this is one where I got wrong where I got it wrong? Maybe. Well, I think you're probably right. Yeah. I do want to say that this battle is not over yet, but I, I I like the way you put that, Charlie. The writing's on the wall here. When you were talking about the second scrimmage of fall camp, I mean, we have one more, but it's really just more of a glorified walkthrough for week one. It's not really a competitive thing as much like the first two are. When one guy, Julio Humphrey, gets what I was told, and I wasn't at this scrimmage. This was a parents and special people only scrimmage, and I am not either one of those things. So I wasn't there, but from what I was told from people that were there is that Humphrey got the vast majority of the reps with the number one defense at that cornerback spot. And yes, Charlie, you are correct. I did predict Everett, even going back to the spring, that Everett was going to be the guy. I based that off of the fact that he was the first guy off the bench last year at the cornerback's position as a true freshman. And I figured, you know, like, again, you're kind of somewhat the incumbent there, right? Like you you didn't start last year, but you were the, the top backup, so you kind of just slide in that open spot, right? Well, that's not how it always works out. There is an open competition, and Kirby, he preaches that. And he walks the walk, guys. A lot of coaches say, oh, yeah, it's a competition. They don't all walk the walk. They just are talking. But Kirby will actually practice what he preaches. He wants the best guy out there. And it looks like, based off the fact that Humphrey, at least according to what I've been told, got the vast majority of those those snaps with the number one, number one defense, that he's going to be the guy, at least to open the season. Now, I do think that there's a good chance that there will be a very liberal rotation there to open the season because it has been a very close battle. I, I think that if Humphrey does end up starting the game against UT Barton, that he'll get most of the work with the number one defense because if that's the guy you think is the guy who won the battle again we had played South Carolina week three you want to make sure he gets enough reps so he's ready because he hasn't really played any at all I mean especially meaningful snaps in his career I mean he was a freshman last year but uh, if he's the guy like you want to get him ready but I do think we'll give guys like Everett and even Nyland Green some opportunities as well in that first game and also the second game against Ball State so I guess to answer your question Charlie yes I'm at least somewhat surprised that it's Julio Humphrey but also, again, maybe not based off what I've heard recently. I mean, even coming out of spring practice, I mean, I was hearing a lot of great things about Humphrey. How this guy was really making a move. It wasn't just Kirby trying to trying to motivate Everett. I mean, you know, like Humphrey was a legitimate contender, and he sh- continued to show that through fall camp. And and Humphrey's a really he's a really really good athlete. In fact, I would say of those three major contenders for that spot, because it's really been Nylon Green, Dalen Everett, and Julio Humphrey. Uh, I think Julio is probably the best overall cover guy from an athleticism standpoint of the three. I think Everett's the biggest, most physical guy in terms of supporting against the run, being able to fight off blocks out there and some of those perimeter screen games. And that was honestly one of my big questions about Humphrey because he's a little bit smaller. He's not like a small corner, but he's smaller than Everett. And think about modern football, guys. Modern offensive football, they just swing the ball out there on those quick screens to the perimeter very consistently. Most offenses have, almost every offense has that in their in their system. Some offenses do that extensively. Like their RPO game, that's a huge part of what they do. You've got to be able to fight out blocks and make those tackles in space. And I had some questions, more questions about Humphrey being able to, to do that than I did Everett, because I've seen Everett do it some. He's a bigger, more physical guy. He just kind of fits that profile a little bit more. But if, if Humphrey was able to make strides in that department and beef up a little bit during the offseason and just show the coaches that he could be a reliable tackler on the perimeter there, then I do think he probably has the best cover skills of those three guys. So from that perspective, I'm not overly surprised, but I did think it was going to be Everett, so I can't sit here and say, oh yeah, I saw that coming because I didn't see that coming. But I do know how close the competition was. So again, it's not altogether like shocking that Humphrey looks like he's going to be the guy. There are two weeks left, but again, kind of just 
as you said, Charlie, read the writing on the wall here. It looks like Humphrey's probably going to be the guy at least to open the season. As always seems to be the case, the past week brought some new injuries, which we never want to hear about. We knew that freshman tight end Lawson Lucky went down with an ankle injury during the first scrimmage last Saturday, but we didn't know how severe it was. This week it was revealed that he had a procedure. Quote unquote procedure. Whatever that might be. So how much of a blow is it if Lucky has to miss extended time? I don't love it. Uh, obviously, we have Brock Bowers. We have Oscar Delpy. We have our top two tight ends. We've talked about throughout the offseason. Could Lucky potentially push Delp to be that second tight end behind Brock Bowers? And Lucky has continued to do some really good things, but so has Oscar Delp. Oscar Delp has really kind of solidified himself as that number two tight end. But Lucky is going to play. I, I, I was about to say he was going to play, but he'll be fine. He's going to come back. He's going to play when he when he comes back. And it's a physical game, guys. And that's the thing. Like, you know, we saw Darnell Washington go out in the Peach Bowl last year and who had to come in and, and kind of fill in for him and play really well in his absence? Oscar Delp. So it's certainly possible that one of these guys, I mean, I don't even, actually, I'm not even going to put that out in the universe, but you know how football goes, right? So it's nice to have those guys that are really talented players in their own right there to back those guys up. So from that perspective, it certainly doesn't help our, our team. I mean, from a depth standpoint, but it's it's good that we still have our top two guys, right? Especially one of them who might very well end up being the greatest tight end in college football history. And as to how long Lucky's going to be out, that remains to be seen. I don't have this like definitively, like no one's told me this directly. This is me completely reading between the lines here. It sounds like when you say procedure, you're talking about an ankle injury, which Kirby has said it was an ankle injury. My guess is that it is the tightrope procedure, you know, that it's kind of come into vogue over the past couple of years. Like Tua Tungavailoa had that, that surgery a couple of years ago, that procedure, and got him back relatively quickly. And Arian Smith you know, had a similar injury last year. He did not have the procedure, from my understanding, but he was back in, you know, three or four weeks. So it's certainly possible that Lucky could be back in three or four weeks. But when you're talking about high ankle sprains, you just don't really know. I mean, I know it's it's annoying to hear me say this, but it's just true. Different people react to those same injuries differently. And there's different levels of severity. Yes, it's high ankle sprain, but how severe is the high ankle sprain? It looks like Austin's might have been a little bit more severe than what Arian had last year if he ends up ha- if he ended up having the procedure, the tightrope procedure, which is what I think he ended up having. So I don't know. Like, it could be anywhere from three to six weeks probably. If it's only three weeks, then he could reasonably be back for the first week. If it's four weeks, second week, I would love to have him back for the South Carolina game. I don't know if that's going to happen, right? Because again, you just don't know how these guys recover from these things. But I, I would love to have Lawson. I really would because I think he's going to be a, a contributor on our team this year. He's not going to be a number one. He's not going to be a number two tight end barring injury. But it's a, it's a violent sport, guys. And you want to have guys that you can trust go out there and, and play for you and pick up the slack and not really have any sort of drop-off from the top two guys, at least not much of a drop-off from the top two guys. You want to have those guys there. Now, we are fortunate that we also have another highly rated freshman tight end in, in Pierce Sperlin. But the thing with Pierce is he missed the entire spring. And so he's certainly behind where Lawson was this fall. But, I mean, hey, he's been here all fall camp. He's been working. Coach Hartley spoke highly of him when he had his press conference a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, we, we have another highly talented tight end. I just don't know if he's as ready to contribute because he really did nothing in line as a high school player. He basically played receiver. Yes, everyone knew he was going to be a tight end in college because he had that body and that size, but he played receiver in high school. That's what he played. So he had a lot more of a learning curve than Lawson did. I'm not saying Lawson was completely ready to hit the ground running. And there's some things that he had to continue to improve on, even like as as a blocker, as an inline blocker. But he at least did those things in high school, which Pierce Sperlin did not. So that is somewhat of a concern because if, if, you know, we need to 
throw Pierce into, into duty there? Is he ready to do the things that we need our tight ends to do? Do we have to kind of adjust our offense if he's in there because he maybe is not as proficient of a blocker right now? Those are questions I do have. But I mean, again, these are more minor questions than anything right now. But it's not a great thing, but it's certainly not a, a debilitating thing. And then on Saturday, Ernest Green, who has been repping basically all fall with the number one offense at left tackle, he went down with what Kirby indicated was an ankle injury of zone. So how concerned are you about Green going down? Not as much, to be honest with you. I mean, anytime you talk about an offensive lineman and ankles, that can be concerning because they have so much weight that they're putting on these things and it might take them a little bit longer to recover. But again, I wasn't there at the scrimmage. This is me just getting this information secondhand. But from what I understand, yes, he went down with injury, but went back in. I think Kirby even said this himself in his post-scrimmage presser. He said, oh yeah, like he went back in for a series of plays and then felt like it was tough and, and came back out and we kind of shut him down for the rest of the day. So that tells me that it's not a super severe ankle if you're able to go back in for another series or two of plays before you have to come back out. I mean, I'm sure he's injured, but it's not one of those things that's going to have him out for an extended period of time. At least that's, that's my read on it right now. I guess we can get more information on that as the week goes on. But based on the information that we have right now, I would lean towards saying that Ernest will be ready by week one. That would be my guess. But even if he's not, here's where our depth really helps us out. If he's not able to go week one or week two, we have Austin Blasky, who has been in the thick of that competition, even going back to the spring to be the starting left tackle. So I know our coaches feel very comfortable with him. I feel comfortable and confident in him as well. He was banged up a little bit early in fall camp. He's been fighting his way back, but he went through the scrimmage on Saturday. So he's ready to roll. So we're not going to miss too much there. If it is like a one or two week thing where he might have to miss the first game or two, obviously I would love to have Ernest back as soon as possible. Again, week three, South Carolina, SEC play starts. And you liked a guy that has never played really at all at the college level, you would like him to have a, a game or two under his belt before he goes into an SEC contest. So I'm hopeful he'll be back week one. Uh, and I think there's certainly a re- very strong chance he will be, but that was something we're going to have to watch. All right. The last thing on week two of fall camp, based on what you're hearing and being told, who are some names that made some noise this week that fans need to be watching for? Great question, Charlie. And I have a number of names. In fact, I think... One of our next videos on our new YouTube channel is going to be like breakout player candidates. And so I want to mention a couple guys here real quick, and we'll do go, go into a little bit more depth with them on the YouTube channel. So make sure to check that out. But here's just a couple of guys off the top of my head. I'm going to start with Jalen Walker. So you guys know if you have been around for a couple of years, going back, what I guess he was a freshman last year. So but prior to last year, I was waxing poetic about Jalen Walker as an old inside linebacker guy myself, player, coach, love that position. You guys know this. And I just love what I saw from Jalen Walker in high school. I mean, this guy is an explosive player with a lot of pass rush ability. We did not play him at inside linebacker last year, which I was somewhat frustrated with because I feel like we set back his development of that position, which I think is his more natural position. I understand to a degree why we did that. When you have guys like Smile Mondin and Pop Dumas Johnson there as your clear starters, you maybe saw an earlier path to playing time and a way for him to help the team as a true freshman rushing the passer on third down. So I understand why we did that. I, however, would have liked to have seen him get some more snaps actually playing inside linebacker ahead of guys like Tresman Marshall and Ryan Davis, who both are no longer on the team because they just aren't as good as the other inside linebackers that we had. I know they were veterans last year. They were upperclassmen, so that kind of gave them the nod there. But from a physical talent standpoint, they just didn't match up with those guys. I think they kind of recognized that, and that's why they both went to other schools. So I would have loved to have seen Jalen gotten some run there last year at inside linebacker, but he didn't. So he misses the spring with the labrum injury, had labrum surgery. He's back now full speed for fall camp, 
And uh, he, this guy has made a move. He's absolutely made a move from everything that I have been told. And just watching him out there, like he's done a, he's, he's different, guys. Like this guy, the way that he moves is, um, it's, it's special. Like he's a big time player, just a great overall athlete. And of, among all of our inside linebackers, I would argue that he is our best pass rushing inside linebacker. In fact, I don't even think it is an argument. I think it's very, very clear if you watch. He is undoubtedly our most proficient pass rusher from the inside linebacker position. He's the closest thing to we have, as a pass rusher from that position, the closest thing that we've had to Nicobe Dean or Quay Walker or even Channing Tindall since those guys left. I've told you guys, you know, for a year now, I think Pop Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden are really, really good inside linebackers. And they had really good first years of starters last year. But we took a step back from a pass rushing standpoint, from that position. They were they were solid as pass rushers, but we took a step back from the guys that we had in 2021, and of course we did because those guys were elite at it. I think Jalen Walker is closer to those guys. And for a team that has historically under Kirby Smart really struggled to rush the passer from a, from a natural standpoint, like having these natural dominant edge rushers, we need all the guys like that that we can get on the field. And Jalen Walker is that. So I think at the very least, he's going to have a role on third downs again like he had last year. I think he has a legitimate shot to work himself into the four-man rotation. I, I really, really do. I and mean, he's come on lately. In fact, he was getting a lot of reps with the number one, number one defense yesterday, according to people that I, that I talked to. I don't know if I'm ready to say that he is going to start the season if Smile doesn't isn't able to go week one, which I don't think right now Smile isn't able to go week one. I'm not quite ready to say that Jalen's going to be that guy next to Pop Dumas Johnson. Xavier Sori has kind of had that on lockdown for most of the fall, but Jalen is making a push. Let me just say that. He is making a push. He's making his case to be that guy to start next to Pop. I don't, I don't think I'd say he, he is going to be that guy right now, but... He's 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 pushing, guys. He's pushing. He is going to play. He's going to play more than just third downs for us this year. Another guy that I love, and I've told you this going back to spring practice, Christian Miller is going to be a really, really good player for us, a very key player on the interior of that defensive line. It's a name that didn't really play last year. You know, it was, it was Bear Alexander, right? I love Christian Miller coming out of high school, and he had to redshirt last year. It wasn't quite physically there yet, uh, but he's there, and he's going to play a lot for us. I've told you many times, I think he's a carbon copy of Tyler Clark, and Tyler Clark was really good for us. So I'm excited about Christian Miller. Uh, Makai Muse, I mean, this is the guy you know, a receiver, return man, right, that had just an absolute monster spring game. But, you know, you look at that on one level, it's like, okay, it's a walk-on, had a big spring game. Like, we've seen this story, like, each and every year. It's always somebody, right? So you just kind of chalked it up saying, oh, it's just one of those cases. He's not really going to be a contributor once, once, the, once the season gets here. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be. He's going to be. All he does is make plays. It's a lot like Cash Jones I talked about last week. It's a lot like Dejan Edwards. When he gets opportunities... It seemingly, he's just one of those guys that just makes the most of him. He makes plays. And it just sounds like it's going to be really hard to keep him off the field this year. I think one thing that also helps him is the fact that he's a slot receiver. And like Dominic Love is going to start in the slot. Like we, we know that. And I think Ladd is also a really good fit in the slot, but he's going to play more outside for us. So outside of, of Love, like who do we have on the team besides I think Ladd could, Ladd could be that guy. But outside of those two, who can really fit in that slot position? Because Karis Jackson is gone. Dominic Blaylock is gone. Makai Muse is that guy. So not only is it that he's making plays, which he is on a pretty consistent basis, but he also is going to have the opportunity this season. That's a big part of it as well. So I think Makai Muse is going to be a name that you need to know. He's going to make plays for us this year. Another name I would say to watch, I just don't know how much he's going to actually get to play this year because we are just so set with our starters at safety with Malachi Starks and Javon Bullard. But Ja'Cory Thomas has, from all accounts, had a really, really strong 
fall camp. And honestly, like when Curtis and I did our position battles going into fall camp, I'm not even sure we actually mentioned him. That's how far I thought he was down the depth chart at safety. Because I mean, we're talking about guys like Dan Jackson coming back from injury and David Daniel coming back as well, who, who took over Dan in that third down package when Dan went down with injury about halfway through last year. And I know to me, Jacory Thomas is like the fifth guy. And so I didn't really want to go to the three deep, but just talking about the two deep, right? Well, it's not a three deep thing for him. That guy is playing a lot. Now, David Daniel didn't actually play in the scrimmage. He didn't participate, so maybe that factors in. But it's beyond just what happened in the scrimmage. I've been hearing for a week or two now that Corey Thomas is really, really doing some nice things, coming on strong, and putting himself in position to, I wouldn't call it a rotation, but putting himself in position to get some snaps this year in meaningful situations. So watch for him as well. And last one here, Peyton Woodring, guys, true freshman kicker. He's coming in, competing right away with Jared Zirkel. Got two scholarship kickers. We talked about this on Friday's show. Woodring is is certainly making his case to be the starting kicker. I, I don't know who it's going to be. Kirby was asked about it in his press conference following the second scrimmage, and he was non-committal. He's like, I don't know. They're both doing well. We'll just kind of have to see. We haven't made a decision there. It's, the battle's ongoing. And it is. From my understanding, it's, it's an ongoing battle. And both those guys had much better days at, at, at the second scrimmage. They did the first scrimmage, based on what I'm being told. Uh, but Wood, Woodring, is he's a guy that's making a push. I'm not, again, it's like it's going back to with Jalen Walker. I'm not ready to project him to be the starter, the guy that's going to win that kicker competition. But he's also right there. And it's there's a very strong possibility that he does end up starting a kicker for us as a true freshman, which if he does, if he's the best guy, he's the best guy. But man, that's that's a scary thought. True freshman being your best option at kicker. I know he's a scholarship guy, he's a good kicker, but man, that uh, that's concerning. We'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more in the next week or two. All right, that takes care of fall camp. But before we close things out today, we weren't the only team in the SEC to name a starting quarterback over the course of the week. So let's take a quick look at some of the teams that we will be facing this season. As expected, Florida named Graham Mertz its starting quarterback. I mean, he transferred there. I mean, we all knew that was going to be This is one that's not surprising at all, but it's still just like, wow, that guy is going to be your starter? Yeah, so what's your reaction to that news other than, wow, that guy? Uh, Good luck. Good luck, Florida. I mean, if you guys listened to our Florida Scouting the Enemy episode a couple weeks ago, I laid out all the numbers for you. I laid out I laid out the lack of production at Wisconsin. And I know you can sit there and say, well, Wisconsin, you know, they don't have a high-flying offense. They don't really throw the ball that much. They don't have a ton of skill talent. It's just a kind of a different system, different team, different players. And I, I guess that's true, but the lack of production just speaks for itself. I mean, I'll just throw this out there to you guys. So last year, against AP-ranked opponents, Graham Mertz was dead last in total QBR, was dead last in completion percentage at 54%, was dead last in interception percentage at 5%, and dead last in passing touchdown to interception ratio, five passing touchdowns to 12 interceptions. And when I say dead last, I'm not saying dead last in the Big Ten or dead last in the SEC. I'm saying dead last in the entire FBS. And that's against FBS-ranked opponents, right? Well, playing the SEC, you're going to be playing a lot more ranked opponents than you are playing in the Big Ten West. And sure, again, will he have more talent to work with at the skill positions at Florida? Yeah, I think that's reasonable to say, although I don't know by how big of a margin is Florida's not super talented right now. They have some freshmen they're pretty high on. But yeah, he'll probably have some more talent to work with. But guys, we're talking about a guy that was dead last, dead last in all those categories I just read. And Florida fans are expecting him to be the savior. They're expecting him to be the one to lead them to an SEC East title to lead them to contention again? I mean, talk about being disassociated from reality. I mean, that's outer space stuff right there. We'll find out pretty quick, though. So that first Thursday of week one, 
Huge game. Love that game. Utah, Florida, Florida going to Salt Lake City. Going to be a great, fun game. I hope Utah absolutely destroys them. I don't care. SEC, whatever. No, destroy Florida, please. And I think there's a really good chance that's going to happen. All right, over in Auburn, Alabama, the ever-slimy Hugh Freeze made his own announcement that Michigan State transfer Peyton Thorne will open the season as the Tigers' starting quarterback. What did you make of that news? Oh, that was entirely expected. I, I had no doubt, really, that he was going to win that job. I really more so by default than anything else because Robbie Ashford just isn't ready to to do the things from a passing standpoint that quarterbacks need to do to play winning football in the SEC. He is an absolutely dynamic athlete. I mean, one of the best athletes I've seen at quarterback since, I mean, really Cam Newton in the SEC. I mean, he's that dynamic of a, of a runner. But the dude is just so raw from a passing standpoint. And I know that Freeze has a really good reputation with, with getting these guys ready to play and being able to do some RPO stuff with some of these guys who might not be like traditional passing quarterbacks, like pro-style quarterbacks. But he was just so raw. There's just such a learning curve for him. And I, I, I wouldn't get, if I'm for Auburn, I, don't, I would not give up on him. And we'll see if he transfers out. If he's smart, he sticks around and just continues to work and develop in, within that new Auburn offense. Because I think he can be a big time player for them eventually. I just don't think he's ready right now based off what we saw last year. I mean, he was so bad last year. So bad trying to throw the football. I mean, it was a, I was embarrassed for him at times, honestly. It was abysmal. And it's not that Peyton Thorne is some stellar quarterback himself. It's just that Asher, there's just no way to reasonably expect him to make that kind of jump in one offseason. He was just so far behind and so raw as a passing quarterback. He was going to make that jump in one year. I give him two years. We'll see what happens. But that's why I felt like you know, when we did this, the Auburn Scout Enemy episode, I think was our second one that we did. That was early July, I want to say. I think I spent like 50 minutes talking about Peyton Thorne because I, I knew back then that he was going to be the guy. There's just no question in my mind. So not surprising at all. I do think he'll bring more stability to the Auburn offense than what they had last year. They were just were so up and down. They just, again, couldn't throw the football at all. So I think they'll be a little bit more balanced, a little bit more stable offensively. I think they probably were going to be anyway because they just have a better coaching staff, at least a better offensive staff with Phil Montgomery coming in, who was one of those guys that was really a big part of some of those high-flying, dynamic Baylor offenses of yesteryear with Art Bryles. So I think they were going to be better offensively anyway, but I, I, see, I certainly think they're going to have more stability and just a, 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 more, a more proficient quarterback under center this year, and that'll help them probably win another game or two than what they won last year. I think Auburn's probably a 7-8 win team this year. And finally, things aren't as definitive at Missouri, but Eli Drinkowitz did announce that incumbent starting quarterback Brady Cook will be sharing reps with redshirt freshman Sam Horn from Collins Hill High School. Your old neck of the woods, Tyler. Yeah, Gwinnett County. I mean, close enough to where I grew up. But yeah, Gwinnett County. So does the old cliche, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, hold true in this situation? It depends on what your expectations are. If you're expecting either one of those guys to be elite quarterbacks this year, I, I think that's exactly what it means. Like, if you're playing both these guys, you don't have an elite quarterback. I think the situation that they are in right now, this is kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago with our Missouri Scout Enemy episode, is Brady Cook is the incumbent starter, as you said, Charlie. And he's the guy that has more of the trust of the coaching staff because they've seen it. They've seen it in games. And he was fine for them last year. He was up and down. He was a pretty good runner for them. Throwing the football was an adventure at times. I think he did get better as the season went on, as he got more reps and played in more games. But at no point did he ever show any signs of being anything more than just an okay, average, ho-hum kind of quarterback. I think the reality is that his ceiling is very limited. And I think the Missouri coaching staff, as I laid out in our Scout the Enemy episode, they almost certainly feel the same way. And I think that's why you're seeing Sam Horn get some of these reps. And I'm somewhat surprised that Jake Garcia is not more so a factor in that. But, I mean, Sam Horn was a four-star guy at a console. He was the quarterback throwing the ball, throwing all those touchdowns to Travis Hunter back in the day winning the state championship. 
We didn't really recruit him. He goes to Missouri, plays baseball there as well. He dealt with a little bit of an injury during spring practice. So that kind of set him back a little bit, which is why I thought Garcia might be the guy that would be splitting reps more with uh, with Cook than, than Horn. But give Horn credit. He's come back at a really good fall camp, apparently, and he's put himself in position to earn some snaps. And we'll see where it goes from there. But I think the situation that they're looking at right now is they realize that, yeah, Cook is the guy they can at least kind of depend on. They know what they have in Cook. But they also, like, knowing what you have, and it means you also know that he's not that guy. He's not an elite quarterback. And Horn, you're not sure if he's ready to be a proficient guy at the college level yet because you haven't seen him do it in real games. But you also recognize that from a ceiling standpoint, he has a much higher ceiling, has a much higher potential than what Brady Cook has. So you want to get him in there, get him some reps, and see what he can do in actual games. And if he starts to respond the right way, and you say, oh, yeah, well, you know what? We can trust this guy. We know he has a higher ceiling, so we're just going to roll with this guy. I think that's probably what they're looking at right now. And if Horn starts out the season strong and does some really good things for them. I think he'll probably take that job pretty quickly and continue to grow with each game as the season progresses. But Missouri is in desperate need of a quarterback right now. They have some good players on defense. I mean, they were one of the better defenses in the SEC last year. They have Luther Burden at wide receiver. They don't have this, the overall skill talent. I don't think their offensive line is a dominant offensive line. I think they're okay. They're solid. They're fine. But they don't have the quarterback. And that's been the issue with them, with Eli Drinkwitz. He's been really good wherever he's gone, like coaching offenses. But they have just struggled to find that guy at quarterback since he's been in Missouri. And that's why they've been, you know, in the six and six range basically since he's gotten there. So you have to you have to think that he is extraordinarily hopeful that Sam Horn is finally going to answer that quarterback question for him and allow them to take that next step. Because if not, I, I, I laid it out in our Scott and the Emmy episode, I think this is a huge year for Eli Drinkwitz. If they don't take a step forward this year and they only win five games or six games, his job might be in jeopardy. I mean, I know that they're probably likely to be a little bit more patient with him there than maybe some other big schools with higher expectations. But let's not forget, their own son, Barry Odom, only got three years. Barry Odom actually had a winning season there, which is something that Eli Drinkwitz is still yet to do. Now, he's recruiting at a much higher level than anybody that's really ever at Missouri, so that's maybe buying him a little bit more time. But I think this is a kind of a put-up-or-shut-up kind of year for Eli Drinkwitz, and he probably knows that. He probably understands that. And uh, he's looking at Sam Horn saying, you might be the guy. So I'm going to get you some reps early in the year, get your feet under you, and hopefully you play well enough that I can justify playing you the rest of the year and see you grow as the season goes on. And maybe we can win some of these games in the SEC that we otherwise wouldn't win if Brady Cook was our quarterback. So I think that's the situation they find themselves in going into this season. But all right, guys, uh, that's it for us today. I will be back with our final scouting the mini episode of the offseason. We're going to be turning our attention to the Tennessee Volunteers. I know I've got a lot of questions like, hey, Tyler, when's this one coming? It's coming now. It's our last SEC game of the year. We're not going to do Georgia Tech. It doesn't seem like you guys actually want me to do that and care about listening to that with all the other things that we had to talk about with the season. Just right down the corner staring us in the face so this is gonna be our last one uh i put a lot of time in this one i'm ready for this one i'm pumped for this one i hope you guys will enjoy it as well but thanks for being here guys i really appreciate you make sure to check out our new youtube channel like subscribe greatly appreciate that also five star ratings and reviews would be super helpful wherever you listen to the podcast whether it's apple pod spotify wherever all those things are a huge huge help to our show and we greatly appreciate each and every one of you that take the time to help us out there so thanks guys appreciate you i'm tyler thank you again charlie for being here saving the day while curtis is clinging to life as we speak and curtis if you're out there love you buddy hope you feel better soon man we'll hopefully have you on later this week but all right guys thank you and as always go dogs